Welcome to our uh, Sunday evening service, our Bible study. We're looking forward to the service this evening. We're glad that you can be here for, uh, for this time of worship uh, together. And we're going to be getting right into Scripture in a moment. But I just want to say again how thankful I am for uh, especially our people who are faithfully turning into these, uh, tuning into these services and, and also for others around from the area and around the country and even other parts of the world that are tuning in. We appreciate um, the fact that we can have a part in uh, learning together, growing together. We're very grateful for it. I, you know, obviously, it's not what is ideal. It's not what we want to see continue, but we believe it's uh, certainly uh, a, a tool that we can use uh, to continue uh, to grow together in the grace of God. Uh, before we get into the scripture, I want to say also that at the conclusion of this uh, sermon today, uh, we're going to have a, a brief announcement that will have to do with um, really where we stand about the coronavirus, the COVID-19 uh, pandemic, and talk specifically about uh, what we've been doing and to look forward to uh, changes, hopefully they'll be coming soon. Uh, where we can begin to meet together. And so be sure and uh, stay tuned for that, if you would. We're going to be in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 4 uh, tonight, if you'll look there in your, in your Bible, 2 Timothy chapter 4. And just while you're turning there, uh, a reminder that this was uh, not only Paul's second epistle to Timothy, his son in the faith, someone very dear to him, but it was also his last epistle, his last recorded words, and uh, he knew that he was coming uh, to the end of his journey, and every word of God is pure and is to be taken seriously, but this has a very special place in our hearts, and we're going to look at some of what Paul had to say, and we're going to make an application to our own lives as always. Second Timothy chapter 4, beginning in verse 9, and we'll read through it, have prayer together, and then we'll go back through it uh, verse by verse and just sort of um, explain it a little bit and then make the application. So let's begin reading in verse 9, if you would. Paul, writing to Timothy, says, Do thy diligence to come shortly unto me. For Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and is departed unto Thessalonica, Crescens to Galatia, Titus unto Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Take Mark and bring him with thee, for he is profitable to me for the ministry. And Tychicus have I sent to Ephesus. The cloak that I left at Troas with Carpus, when thou comest, bring with thee, and the books, but especially the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. The Lord reward him according to his works, of whom be thou ware also, for he hath greatly withstood our words. At my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. I pray God that it may not be laid to their charge. Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me that by me, the preaching might be fully known, and that all the Gentiles might hear, 
and I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. And the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work and will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul wrote these words from a place of isolation. He was in a prison house in Rome. He wrote in this this context, this passage we're reading today, about the place of companions. He wrote about friends. He wrote about former associates. He wrote about those who had heard him. He requested that others might come and help him, come to his side. But he wrote also about the support that he received from God. He reminded Timothy, and he reminds us, that we're not alone. Even in a lonely place, Paul knew that he was not alone. And I want to look at that subject together and make an application to our lives. And the good news is, especially for those who are saved, even in times of quarantine, even in times of isolation, even in times of stay-at-home suggestions, guidelines, we're not alone. Let's pray as we begin. Father, we pray for your help, Lord, for your insight, Lord, for the work of the Spirit of God and the Word of God to edify the saints, Lord, to shed light upon our journey, the entrance of thy Word giveth light. We pray that you'd bless. We ask you to do what only you can do, and that is to take the Word of God and apply it to our hearts and lives, to strengthen us, to equip us, to, Lord, uh, convict us where it needs to happen. We pray for those who are viewing these services or listening that may not know you, that, God, you would use your word and the circumstances of life and the conviction of the Spirit of God to draw people to yourself. And for all these things, we'll thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. We're talking a little bit today in introduction about isolation. It's a part of uh, the common conversation in our day, the fact that people are uh, spending more time alone, spending more time uh, self-distancing, um, c- complying uh, in some more seriously than others, but all probably to some degree at these stay-at-home orders. And, and this increased isolation has an effect on all of us, not always in the same way, not always to the same degree. And quite honestly, I know that some have found this increase of alone time probably to be refreshing uh, from the uh, hectic lives that we sometimes live. Uh, but for other people, it's it's brought a new degree of loneliness into their lives. I just read this week a a survey that was taken uh, that revealed that 44% of the people who responded to this survey uh, said that they were experiencing greater loneliness than ever before in their life. Almost half said more loneliness, more aware of their lonely position that ever before in their life. And as a follow-up question, they were asked about if these extended, uh, these quarantines would continue, how it would affect them. And and again, more than half of them said it would cause more serious distress, mental 
distress or anxiety. So I, with that as an introduction and a backdrop, I want to look at this passage where Paul is writing, and I find his words uh, to be very pertinent when we're talking about this subject of being alone. We know that Paul was near the end of his earthly journey. In verse 7, we didn't read that verse, but if you look there with me in verse 7, he says, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. He says, I have finished my course. He knew his course in this life, his ministry, his purpose on this earth was just about complete. It's interesting when you read about how he had felt forsaken, how his friends had left him, how he was virtue alone in some places, that a man of God with such stature would, would be in this place at the end of the journey. It's very interesting. Uh, if you look in verse 9, he's urging Timothy to come as quickly as possible to where he was in Rome. He says in verse 9, Do thy diligence to come shortly unto me. Now, we're not certain where Timothy was at this time, but at one time he was and could still be at this moment in time we're reading. He was at the church at Ephesus. Paul had asked him to stay there and to teach them that they observe or teach no other doctrine. He was serving there as the pastor in the church at Ephesus. So Paul says, come to me, Timothy, as quickly as you can. If you look over in verse 21, he repeats this request. Verse 21 do thy diligence, he writes to Timothy, to come before winter. First he says, come as quickly as you can. And then he says, come before winter. He's emphasizing strongly. He said it twice, this need for Timothy to come. If you look in verse 10, after he says in verse 9, do thy diligence to come shortly unto me. He says, for Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and is departed into Thessalonica. Come to me quickly, for because Demas hath forsaken me. The, the for sort of connects the departure of Demas uh, and others to his need for Timothy to come and expedite his, tra his travel. In verse 10, in the latter part of the verse, it says that uh, Crescens has gone to Galatia and Titus unto Dalmatia. Other companions of Paul were also gone. They were serving and ministering and busy in other places. In verse 11, he says, only Luke is with me. Now, Luke was a dear friend of the Apostle Paul, a fellow laborer with Paul. We know from the scripture in Acts when uh, Luke became a part of the team, when they were on their second missionary journey going into Macedonia. And he was a very close associate of the Apostle Paul. So he was dear to him. Uh, but his presence was not enough. He says in verse 11, only Luke is with me. Then he said, mentions also in verse 11, Mark. Mark, the writer of the gospel of Mark. Mark also uh, a fellow companion of Paul and Barnabas when they went on their first missionary journey, sent out of the church at Antioch, and Mark was on that trip. We know from the Bible that Mark had quit traveling with Paul during this evangelistic uh, journey. And now Paul is writing to Mark and says, Take Mark and bring him with you. When you come, bring him with thee, for he is profitable for the ministry. And then in verse 13, uh, he mentions, or verse 12, he also says, Antichicus have I sent to Ephesus. Again, we don't know exactly why, but it could be that because um, 
Paul has asked for Timothy to come to him, presuming that maybe he was leaving Ephesus to come to him, that Paul has sent Tychicus there uh, to relieve him. We don't know that for certain. Then verse 13, he mentions some practical things that he needed. His cloak, the cloak that I left at Troas, uh, when you come, bring with thee. But also he mentions the books, but especially the parchments. We can't be certain what these writings were. Um, perhaps they were some of Paul's own writings that were very uh, valuable, very precious treasures. They could also have included some of the Jewish scriptures, the parchments that he refers to. And sometimes we've assumed, and I've even said this before, that uh, even in his place of incarceration, even in his place of isolation, he wanted to make sure he was still reading, and that's obviously true. But it could also be that he just wanted to protect these sacred writings and make sure, because he knew he was at the end of his journey, he wanted to personally make sure those things were transmitted, transferred to other people. In verses 14 and 15, I'm just going by this again and just kind of taking a few moments to better uh, be acquainted with this passage. Verses 14 and 15, he mentions Alexander the coppersmith. And Paul says to Timothy, he did me much evil. The Lord reward him according to his works, of whom be thou aware also. Beware of him, be cautious, for he hath greatly withstood our words, our preaching, our teaching, our message. So this Alexander had caused Paul a great deal of grief. And then in verse 16, he says, At my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. I pray, God, that it may not be light that it may not be laid to their charge. There was a time when everyone abandoned Paul. Paul said, I'm not going to hold that against them. And I don't, but, but there's something about this statement, something about this place that Paul is referring to that touches us emotionally. You know, as a pastor, as a preacher, as a Christian, I can understand why someone might not stand with me but I cannot wrap my mind around why Paul would be alone, why there would not be people standing with him. But the, that's where he was in verse 16. I don't think that this is an exaggeration. I don't think it's an embellishment. I think there was a time in Paul's ministry when everyone forsook him. May I say also the same thing happened to Jesus. There was a time when those closest to Jesus abandoned him as well. But that gets me to the point that I want to emphasize for a few moments today. And that's the beginning of verse 17. Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me. Everyone else may have left him. These other people now may have been gone and ministering to other places. Uh, Alexander the coppersmith may have caused him grief. Demas may have forsaken him, having loved this present world, but there was one that was with him. He said, the Lord stood with me. He said, I'm not alone. Other people may have forgotten him. Other people may have disappointed him, but he was not alone. The Lord was with him, and not only was he with him, verse 17 says, but he says, the Lord strengthened me, that by me the preaching might be fully known and that all the Gentiles might hear. The Lord strengthened him that he could continue in his ministry. And the Lord, he said, would continue to 
deliver him and care for him. In verse 18, the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work and will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So this passage talks about a person's emotions, not just any person, but the Apostle Paul, his state of mind. It talks about him dealing with betrayal, dealing with abandonment, dealing with disappointment, dealing with aloneness, whether we would call it loneliness or not, I'm not sure, but he was alone, sometimes completely alone, sometimes with very few people around him. And I'm not going to spend much time on this, but I just want to state the obvious at this point, and that is this, God made us to need companionship. God made us uh, to be connected to other people. When God put the first man in the Garden of Eden, when he put Adam in the garden, he said, God said, it's not good that man should be alone. And he made a help meet for him. And uh, God made us to uh, support each other, encourage each other, fellowship with each other, if we could use that word. And there's so much in the Bible about the subject of friends, you know, um, how important it is that we have a friend. If a man's going to have friends, the Bible says he must show himself friendly. Another place it says faithful are the wounds of a friend. Another place it says iron sharpeneth iron, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friends. Another place in Ecclesiastes it says two are better than one. We need each other. God did not intend for us just to be isolated, to be an island unto ourself. As, as people in the church, as people in the faith, we have a personal relationship with God that's between us and the Lord, but we also have a responsibility to other people. We have the responsibility to edify one another. The Bible says exhort one another daily. We have a Bible that teaches us the value of fellowship and friendship. So God made us to need companionship. And yet Paul found himself here in 2 Timothy chapter 4 at a place where it was as if almost everyone and it's sometimes everyone had abandoned him or had forsaken him. And yet he says, I'm not alone. And I want to I say to us today that we too, we can also say we're not alone. And there, there is a sense in which every person on the planet, all of us could say that God is never far away from us. When Paul said, you know, the Lord stood with me, when all others forsook me, the Lord stood with me, he says, I, I've never been completely alone. I was thinking in regard to this to Psalm 139, where David uh, wrote this, I'm just a couple of verses of that very lengthy and very profound psalm. But David wrote, Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Or whither shall I flee from thy presence? Where can I go that you're not there? Where can I flee that your presence is not there? Then he says, If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I could just paraphrase, David was saying, Anywhere I go... God is. God is there. You cannot go any place that God is not. 
One of my favorite verses of Scripture is found in the Proverbs, Proverbs 15. And it says this, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. Anywhere you go, God is. You cannot be anywhere that God does not see you. There's not a room so dark that God cannot see you. There's a place, there's not a place so remote that God does not know where we are. Now there are times when it may seem that God is distant. It may, there may be times that it seems that God is far away. You know, Job, whom the Bible says was, and again I want to paraphrase, one of the, the godliest men around in his day, and uh, God said there's, there's nobody that despises or hates evil, eschewed evil, uh, like, like Job. Job had a great relationship with God, and, and yet, when Job was going through his trials and some of the deepest valleys that he was going through associated with these intense trials, in verse 23, or chapter 23, Job said this, Oh, that I knew where I might find him. If I just knew where to find God. It's like he felt like God had run away. God had, was hidden. God was not near him. He couldn't find God. God is not around me. Uh, a little later in that chapter, he says this, Behold, I go forward, but he is not there. And backward, but I cannot perceive him. He said, when I go this direction, he's not there. And I go that direction, he's not there. There are times, <coughs> pardon me, when God does not seem to be around. God does not seem to be present. But the reality is, the truth is, the unchanging truth is this. God is omnipresent. What does that mean? It means he is present everywhere at the same time. That's the character, that's an attribute of the God that we love. Now, just because God is everywhere, and he is everywhere at all times, does not mean that he has the same nearness with every person, regardless of what their spiritual condition is. God is everywhere, but that does not mean he has the fellowship or relationship with people the intimate closeness with people, regardless of where they are spiritually. You know, you could be in a person's presence and not have fellowship with them. You or I uh, might attend a political rally and find ourselves in the presence of the President of the United States. We're in his presence, but that does not mean that we know him personally. It does not mean we have a close relationship with him. So God is everywhere. And no matter how wicked a person may be, no matter how uh, much of an unbeliever, a blasphemer, a rejecter of God, or just ignorant of truth that person may be, God is still near them because God is everywhere. But God wants more from us and wants to more, offer more to us than just to be near us in our proximity God created us to have fellowship with him. He wants us to have a personal relationship with him. We're talking about the fact that we're not alone. The Bible wants us, God wants us, the Bible instructs us 
how that we can have a personal relationship with God. But the Bible also tells us what that thing is that keeps us, separates us from God spiritually. What is it that distance us, distances us from God? It's not where we live in the world. It's not our socioeconomic status. It's not the color of our skin. It's not our, our personality, our intellect. What is it? And most people could answer this question. But what is it that creates a distance between us and God? And the simple answer is, it is our sin. Sin always has been the thing that separates us from God. I mentioned earlier how God put Adam in the garden, Adam and Eve in the garden. And of course we know that in Genesis chapter 3 it records their sin. And it also records the consequences of their sin. And one of the consequences of their sin was they were separated from God. And, and then Adam, who had walked with God, the Bible says, in the cool of the day, had fellowship with God. Now God is calling out to him, Adam, where art thou? And Adam says, I hid myself. And he hid himself because he would, had sinned. Sin separates us from God. And it's not just, some people say, well, yeah, I understand why, you know, a murderer or a person who's a, you know, has these horrendous sins, horrible, vile, wicked, criminal, you know, sinful activity, why God would not be close to them. But it's not just certain sins that separates us from God. It's the fact that we are sinners. We are sinners by nature. That we have sin in our heart. And that sin takes many different shapes and many different forms. But all of us have this in common. All of us have this in common. That we have sinned against God and His law. We have broken God's law. And because we have broken His law, we're sinners. You know, I was thinking as I was preparing this message about the Ten Commandments. And one of the places we have them mentioned is Exodus chapter 20. I'm looking at that in my Bible. And God lists these commandments. They're not suggestions, they're commandments. You know, he says, thou shalt have no other gods before me. God is to be first in our life. When Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? He said, it's this, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy mind, with all thy soul, with all thy strength. And we're to love God supremely. We're not to love anything more than we love God and we could just stop right there and say all of us have broken that, that law. All of us have had things and people in our life that at some stage in our life meant more to us than God. We put them before God. And he talks about having graven images. He talked about not taking the Lord's name in vain. He talks about the Sabbath day and keeping it holy. He talks about honoring, thou, honor thy father and thy mother. We're to honor and obey our parents. All of us all of us have been guilty. I'm not proud of that, but I know that I've broken that commandment. He says, thou shalt not kill. And that's not talking about killing in self-defense or in defense of your country. He's talking about killing by murder, murdering someone, taking the life of another person. And yet, you would say, well, we've never done that. But Jesus said, if you've hated someone in your heart, you've the same as murdered them. And then he said, thou shalt not commit adultery. And again, Jesus said... That if you've looked on a woman to lust after her, you've committed adultery with her in your own heart. And then he says, thou shalt not steal. You're not to take anything that belongs to another person. 
And then he says you're not to bear false witness. That means to misrepresent the truth, the lie. All of us are guilty of these commandments. And you're not, to, you're not to covet what belongs to other people. I mean, all of these commandments God has given us, and these commandments are God's holy standard. And the reality is, the truth is, there's not a person who's ever lived that has not broken these commandments. It's our sin that separates us from God. Sinning is what we naturally do. Sinner, sinners is who we naturally are, of our, our sin nature. And God cannot fellowship with sin. Now, the reality is, talking about the fact that God is everywhere, that a person could be sitting in a jail cell today and be a mass murderer and have no interest in the things of God, and yet God is near to him because God is everywhere. But he doesn't have a relationship with God unless he's turned to God in repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus came to this earth. That's why Jesus died on the cross, is so that our sins could be forgiven. He came to save us from our sins. That was the message of the angel concerning the birth of Jesus. Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. It was Jesus' death on the cross as the Lamb of God, the perfect sacrifice, the holy sacrifice for our sins that provides forgiveness and cleansing and restores sinful man to a relationship with holy God. Our sins, my sins, your sins, our sins were placed on Jesus on the cross. He died for my sins. He didn't just die for the sins of the whole world. He did that, but he died for my sins. He died for your sins. Our sins were placed on Jesus on the cross. He died. God himself, God in the flesh, Emmanuel, God with us. God himself died for our sins. He paid the penalty for our sins. He died a literal death. He was buried in a literal tomb. And three days later, he raised from the dead. He provides salvation through the sacrifice of his death on the cross. And when we come to Jesus Christ, when we come to God, confessing our sin, repenting of our sin, and receiving him by faith as our Savior, God forgives us all of our sins. We are cleansed according to the Bible. Though we were once separated from God, because of our sin, we are made nigh. That's a word used in the Bible. We're made nigh through the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. The only thing that separates us from fellowship with God is our sin. When we receive Jesus Christ by faith as our Savior, we receive the gift of eternal life. That sin that we had in our life is separate, is, that separates us from God is pardoned, is forgiven, is removed. We are born again. We are adopted by God into his family. And then God is not just in the vicinity of where we are. God is in us. When a person is saved, the Lord comes to live within them. Paul wrote this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Know ye not that your body 
is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you. Think about that. He said this to believers, people who were saved, born again. Your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, which is in you. When we're saved, we are united with Him. We become one with Him. In Galatians 2, it says, Christ liveth in me. Galatians 2.20, Paul said, Christ liveth in me. In Ephesians chapter 3, Paul says that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. I say again, he's not just in the room where we are. He's not just in our vicinity. He's actually within us. He's with us. And you know what he said in Hebrews chapter 13? I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Like Paul, who was isolated in a Roman prison cell in a jail who could say, everyone forsook me, but the Lord stood with me. I was not alone. We can say we are not alone. We are not alone if we have Jesus Christ in our life. We will never, ever, ever be alone again. Even in times of isolation, even in times of loneliness, even in times when we cannot have the connection with friends and family that we are accustomed to, if we're saved, we're not alone because he's with us. Now, that does not mean that companionship with other people is unnecessary or that it's unimportant. These relationships with family, with friends, with other believers in Christ are a vital part of our journey. But even if those relationships are suspended, even if those relationships are hindered, even if through some circumstance of life, some of those relationships are ended, we can still know that we are not alone. We're not alone. I want to read those verses, that verse again in verse 17, 16 and 17. At my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. I pray God that it might not be, that it may not be laid to their charge. Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me. If you're a child of God, the Lord is with you. He's always with us. And I just want to say today, for those who are saved, you know that by faith you've received Christ as your Savior, then be comforted today. The Lord's with us. No matter what time of the day it is, no matter what season of the life it is, if it's early in the morning, if it's getting up in the middle of the night, He's always with us. And He'll never leave us. And He'll never forsake us. Even though we may not be able to get together with those that we would like to, we're not alone because God is with us. And then I want to say this to those who are listening or watching today who don't have that assurance. You're not sure that you've ever been born again. You're not sure that you've been forgiven of your sins. You're not sure that Christ is in you. Imagine what that means to have Christ in you forever, permanently indwelling 
within you. I've thought about this. I've said this over the years numerous times in teaching and preaching. Imagine what it would be like even going through the most uh, difficult or scary, frightening situation of life. Imagine going through that and being able to hold the hand of Jesus as he walks with us as we go through it. And I'm just telling us, telling us because I'm reminding myself today that Jesus Christ is with us. And if you're not saved, you don't have that assurance. Yes, he, he may he very well, we could say he's around us. His, he sees us. He knows where we are. The Bible says he even knows the uh, sparrows when they fall. He knows the hairs upon our head. He knows us intimately. But if you're not saved, he's not in you. If you're not saved, you don't have that fellowship with him, that relationship with him that you can have, that he wants you to have. But Jesus died that you could have it. He paid the price. The only thing, the only thing standing between you and a relationship with a loving, caring, creator God is the sin that separates you. And Jesus has died to remove the guilt, to cleanse you from that sin. And the only thing necessary for you to do that, to experience that, to know Christ, is to come with, to him in a sincere heart of repentance, confessing your sin, asking him to have mercy, putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, believing on the Lord Jesus Christ for your salvation. And I would urge you right now, if it's in your heart to do it, to put your faith in him, to trust in him. And as I often say on these broadcasts, if you, if you feel like you need help, assistance, someone to talk to, there's information provided on the screen in a moment. Phone numbers, send an email, contact us. Contact us through Facebook. We can get information to you. We want people to know Christ as their Savior. Let's take a moment before we conclude this service and... And just personalize this and thank God, thank God for the fact that he is with us, that we are not alone. And if you've never been saved and you want to call on him right now to save you, you could do that right now as you listen. Let's bow our heads for a moment and then I'll conclude with prayer, all right? Our Father, as we pray at this time, we thank you, Lord, that in all of your glory and all of your might and all of the wonder and the majesty of your person, that you want to have fellowship with us. We acknowledge that, Lord, you are everywhere. The Bible clearly teaches that that you're always around, that you're always in the vicinity. and We acknowledge your greatness and your goodness. But we also acknowledge today that because of the great work of salvation, that when a person comes in faith, dependence upon Christ, that not only are you in the vicinity, but you come to take up residence 
in our lives. We acknowledge that today and we thank you for that. We thank you that even as Paul wrote in this passage, that in the difficult times, in times of isolation, in times of confusion or fear, in Paul's life there were a time of betrayal when friends forsook him. But even in those times, he wasn't alone because you're with him. And we thank you that you're with us today. We praise you for that. May your word encourage our hearts as we grow in grace. We'll thank you and praise you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to take uh, just a few minutes and talk to you uh, briefly about kind of give an update, talk about this uh, coronavirus pandemic, this COVID-19 we're living with and it's all around us. And I want to begin by just saying I don't claim to be an expert. I'm not a scientist. I don't have perfect knowledge about this disease. And if I could just be blunt with you, I don't think anybody really has perfect knowledge about it. And frankly, I think anyone who thinks they have it all figured out, especially someone who's not... Uh, not training this area, I think that they, they're terribly misguided. Some people act as though they know everything there is to know about it, and I just don't uh, think that that's the truth. I read an interesting uh, meme recently somewhere on the Internet, and this is what it said. We have a worldwide pandemic of conspiracy theories. In other words, there's a worldwide outbreak, and there's so many, it's unbelievable. I want to just give you my opinion. In my opinion, um, I believe this has been sensationalized by some. It's caused panic and fear, undue uh, panic in some cases. But I also believe it's been sort of marginalized or mocked even uh, as though it's not serious. Like most subjects I've found in life, the reality lies somewhere between two very different opinions. And I think that is the case here. I know some people say that it's, uh, it's not important, it doesn't matter, but I, I just want to say I know people personally, more than one person that is decades younger than I am who have been fighting for their lives. That's not imaginary. It's not normal. It's not, it's not something to be scoffed about. Uh, we have a family friend who's working in a hospital in New York City which is the epicenter of this disease as far as our country is concerned. And they are surrounded by death. They're watching many healthcare workers being affected. So people who speak of this as though it's not serious, I think are either misinformed or even worse. But wherever you stand on the subject, I'd just like to make a suggestion. Don't assume that because you believe something to be true, that it must be true. Many people who believe things to be a certain way, there's really no evidence for what they believe, and that could be on either end of the spectrum. So don't believe everything that you believe is always true, but also don't expect everyone to assume that you must be right. I realize that even in our church, we have a lot of people, and we have people who have different opinions, and you don't have to all agree for us to love one another and accept one another. But here's the point I want to get around to. The reason that we're separated from assembling as a church is not just because of 
governmental guidelines. It's also because of public safety. You know, I know that some churches are trying to get back together, and we will be also as soon as we can. But numerous churches around the country, and this is true, have recorded dozens of cases of this disease in their congregation, some with fatalities. <clears throat> I don't want that to be something that would happen here. So we're going to be very cautious. We want to be careful. We're going to be careful about the process going forward. And I believe very soon in our, in our country, there's going to be some discussion. There is discussion already about, about how we can go back to normal, how we can begin to uh, proceed in a more normal way. And we're going to be discussing this same subject about meeting together. And all I can say at this point is let's just pray for God's wisdom as we do. Let's be patient. Let's trust the Lord to lead us and uh, trust that he will lead us. And finally, I want to say this. I appreciate our church family so much. I appreciate the way you've responded to this unprecedented situation. I appreciate the words of support and encouragement that we get, often phone calls or text messages uh, just saying, you know, that we're listening, we're being encouraged. We want you to know if there's something we do to help you. I know our people have been reaching out to one another and helping each other. But we, we just want to thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for tuning in to these online services. I want to thank you for your consistent, faithful giving, uh, supporting the ministries of the church. Obviously, this arrangement is not what we would prefer. We'd rather be present with our church family. We'd rather be worshiping together. We'd rather be fellowshipping together. But through this, you've demonstrated your faith in a positive way. And I just, wanna, I just want you to know from my heart as your pastor, I appreciate that so very much. And I was thinking about this last Lord's Day, last Sunday, Easter Sunday, you know, how, that, how difficult it is, how unusual, how awkward it is for churches around the country to meet in so many different ways. Some like this, just online Bible studies, some meeting in smaller groups where they can, some meeting on parking lots, drive-in services, everybody doing what they think is best uh, as the Lord would lead them. And all of us would prefer it to be a different way. But I had this thought Sunday, and I've had this thought this week. It very well could be that because of these arrangements, because of the pandemic uh, situation that we're in, because there's so many online services, because there's so many people like you who are sharing these links with other people, that other people that aren't in our community, other people that, that don't attend church are tuning in on a regular basis. It very well may be that in this country, last Sunday, more people heard the gospel when we could not assemble the way we're accustomed to assembling. It could be, only God knows, but it could be more people heard the gospel last Sunday than maybe at any other time in our history even. And wouldn't it be amazing if God, we'll find this out someday, if God could take something like this and use it, actually get the message of the gospel out to people in a way that uh, would never have been uh,
predicted. And I just, I just acknowledge that God is good and, and God is not alarmed and we're his people and we can trust him and obey him and walk by faith even in a situation like this. We love you. I love you. Rhonda and I love you. And uh, we're looking forward to the day that we can get back together uh, the way we would normally get together. God bless you and have a great week.